As a team leader, I face new challenges every day. Fortunately, I found Teams Global. Their e-learning platform makes it easy to take hyper-relevant courses like giving and receiving feedback, ownership to action, and managing virtual teams. Teams Global allows me to learn on my schedule and at a price I can afford. Check out Teams Global today at T-E-A-M-E-S-Global.com and become the leader that your team needs you to be. Teams Global has a special gift for you, the listeners of the Building Teams podcast. Use the code PODCAST10, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-1-0, when checking out for any Teams Global course for a 10% discount on your order. Sign up for a course today. Welcome to Building Teams with Teams & Co., where we explore how leaders can empower their teams, achieve ambitious strategies, and deliver an exceptional customer experience. Views expressed by guests are their own and may not reflect the views of Teams & Co. Everybody, welcome back to Building Teams with Teams and Co. We are really excited this week to welcome Paul Glover to the show. Paul is a no BS workplace development coach. Paul, welcome to our show. Tracy, I'm really pleased to be here. Uh, thank you so much for the invitation and the opportunity to talk to you and your audience. Now, this is great, Paul. I, uh, we were just chatting a little bit before we went live and. Um, your your website has lots of great material on it and, and things that are, you know, obviously the work that you do is really impressive, but also just some some really nice uh, real language. And, and so what I'd love for you to do is just in your own words, uh, rather than me describing it, um, give our listeners a little bit of a sense of the work you do and why you do it. And, and we'll kick off from there. All right. Well, thank you, Tracy, for that opportunity. Uh, first, uh, my primary occupation is as a, a coach, and it's a development coach. And uh, I have a, a national coaching practice uh, for the C-suite and decided to become a coach uh, when I found out I could no longer practice law. I, I bill myself as a recovering trial lawyer. And uh, once I knew that I wasn't going to be practicing law anymore, I started to make some decisions about what I could do with my skill set. And uh, skill set, uh, one skill set that I have that proved to be uh, very effective when I started my practice was the ability to uh, coach leaders about how to effectively communicate. Uh, as a trial lawyer, the obligation is to persuade and convince a jury that your client's point of view or position is the appropriate one so that you get the victory. Uh, and I found early on, uh, after losing my first two cases, I had a, uh, I had a experienced trial lawyer say, for the price of a steak dinner, I'll tell you what you're doing wrong. And uh, since I'd already paid for three years of law school, I thought that's a pretty cheap price to figure out how to be successful. Uh, and actually, it wasn't the steak dinner, but it was the bottle of scotch he drank that uh, about bankrupted me. Uh, but he said to me uh, something that I, I took and I now give his advice to my coaching clients. Uh, he said, you're really good at telling the facts, but you're not telling the story. He said, no one will make a decision without a narrative that incorporates the facts, but also touches their feelings, touches that emotional state. And most leaders forget that. Uh, they're, they're very good at saying, here's the information. 
but not telling people what to do with it, not telling why it matters, not telling the connection. And that's because most leaders believe in telepathy. They think that if they think it, uh, everybody else hears it. So I started my coaching practice as a, as a presentation uh, coach. And from that, it developed into a, a more robust coaching relationship that is based on uh, I am uh, 80% of the people who come to me don't work with me. Uh, we find we're not a fit. As I tell people, I'm an acquired taste. Uh, thus the uh, no BS. Uh, but, but I also want to, I don't, I, I don't believe that, that I don't want to spend my time or their money without the coaching being connected to legacy. Because to me, that's how you create your entire work life is by looking at what your legacy is going to be when you're done, when you hand it off. And whether that be a promotion or whether it be retirement or whether it be quitting, whatever it is, uh, we, we all should be working at our legacy. And uh, the reason that I continue to coach uh, is because I'm building my legacy off the success of those people who are in my coaching program. And I believe so firmly in this approach that I don't get paid unless the person I'm coaching is successful. At the beginning of our coaching arrangement, uh, we establish what the criteria is for success. Here are the things that you want to achieve in our 12-month coaching program. And at the end of that, the person who I've been coaching gets to make the determination as to whether or not we've been successful in achieving these goals. If we are, I get paid. If we aren't, I get nothing. And I've found that that puts my skin in the game, and it certainly keeps my level of attention and focus absolutely uh, uh, on, on an edge uh, because I'm going to make sure that you're successful. By the way, if you choose not to be successful, I'm okay with that. However, if that's the case, you pay me the whole 12 months. I don't care if you bail after month one or after month 10. Uh, and what I find to be so interesting is people believe that coaching is going to make their journey easier. Doesn't. If anything, coaching should make their journey harder. We should be talking about those elements of legacy that are so important that they are hard. Uh, I have one of my clients who uh, refers to me as their Sherpa. I am going to help you climb the mountain but I'm not going to climb the mountain for you. We're going to make sure that you've got the equipment necessary for the journey. And then I'm going to be there with you every step of the way to make sure that you're going to be successful, but you have to commit to the journey. Awesome. Well, there's so many themes in there, Paul, that we speak about a lot on the podcast. And I think that are really important for leaders and their teams. You know, some of the ones that I'm hearing you, you know, say are things like clear communication um, making it customer centric, whether it's the storytelling or it's the goal setting and the way that you structure your fees, really making sure that the customer's at the heart of what you're doing and being successful. And in, in that case, it's it's leaders. But the, the thing that really comes through to me, you know, as you're speaking, and it's something that we speak to leaders a lot about is this journey of continuous improvement. And sort of, it's not a point in time where you, you know, set aside two weeks and fit, fix everything that's, you know, that you think you need to fix. But it's really about kind of those small wins each day. So how do you think about that with the leaders that you're coaching in terms of, you know, kind of that continuous process versus point in time improvements? Well, first, I believe that that potential is an evolving condition. 
Everybody thinks, well, I'm going to, when I get to this point, I will have fulfilled my potential, whatever that is. My, my, uh, my research shows that most people don't get to 40% of their potential because it is a moving target. As you get better, your potential actually expands as you step outside your comfort zone. So when I, when I do, when I engage in coaching, two, we do it on two levels. Uh, well, actually four levels, but I'll tell you the two that matter the most. The first is training. I believe you always need to get better at your current job. That means that you figure out what that what that requires. But I also believe that you have to then do development. And development is getting ready for your next job. So we've got two aspects of that. I also think that we divide that into two skills. We have the hard skills and we've got the soft skills. Both of those may require work. The hard skills are basically establishing your competency to do it, to do the work. The soft skills are those leadership qualities about communication, about uh, about engagement. We always it's so interesting to me that uh, that we continue to know the words to use, but we really don't believe in the process. Uh, engagement requires that you not be professional. Professional is not working anymore. It it is personal that matters. And for leaders to be personal requires a skill set that they're not used to. Uh, authenticity and vulnerability are, again, uh, they're, they're those hot button words everybody says. But the requirement of being that way is absolutely opposite what we've been taught as leaders. We've been taught to be professional. Uh, and by the way, uh, up until the, uh, the pandemic, that was it didn't work. Look, I believe the system's been broken for a long time. Leaders, leaders have been told to do things that absolutely don't encourage engagement. They don't get it. But that's why when uh, Gallup does their engagement uh, survey, 36%. Are you kidding? By the way, and they, they suggest we should celebrate that. I'm like, oh, my God. First, there's 21% are actively disengaged, and the rest of them are doing just enough to get paid. Uh, so, no, this is not something to celebrate. So the issue is, if we believe engagement is a magic elixir, what are you going to do as a leader to engage people? And that requires that we stop pretending we know have all the answers and that we turn around and become per personal in our interactions with everybody. Everybody. You need to be empathetically curious. You want to engage people. And by the way, I, you've, turned, you've obviously hit the switch. I, I've got a very simple program. And I, I require that every leader accept three tenets. Engagement, success, and legacy are built on three things, three A's. The first is attraction. And I'm not talking about your physical beauty, if, if you've got that, hooray for you. But, but the, the reality is the attraction is your positive energy that you Give to your people. Give, give to your organization. Uh, if you are positive, you will bring them in. If you're authentic and vulnerable, they will realize that you're the type of person they want to be with. So we've got, uh, we've got the, the concept of attraction. The second is attention. Pay attention to people. They crave it. They need it. And if you pay attention to them, you will know more about them and what they need so that you're able to provide it. And I believe in reciprocity. A theory of reciprocity is if I take care of you, you will take care of me. It's built into being human beings. And the last A is appreciation. 
I, I find it so strange that we'll say thank you to someone who, a stranger who passes us the salt shaker at a restaurant, but we will not say thank you to people who have worked for 40 plus hours a week. What we say is see you next week. And to me, after a hard week, that's like an invitation back to hell. Instead of doing that, how about expressing the appreciation for the effort and the performance that they've given you during that five-day period? So anyway, that that's where I'm at with this. This is what this is what it this is what leadership success looks like for me. Something extremely simple that we complicate. Yeah, no, we can we resonate with that. We we speak about it a lot at Teams and Co. in terms of the ways that you get to success are often those you know kind of weeding out those messy processes, right? And, and, and once you do that, it's actually quite an easy and a simple equation, but you have to take the time to kind of reset those expectations and reset the team. And now let's hear about the wonderful people that support this podcast. Are you spending more time managing your accounting than you are managing your team? Maybe it's time to bring on a professional to help you. Michelle Trotz and her team are an accounting and consulting firm that specializes in contract accounting, outsourced CFO and consulting services. They give you the time that you need to focus on operating your organization. Give the Michelle Trotz CPA, CFE, PLLC firm a call today to schedule your free consultation at 828-280-2530. Again, that's 828 828- 280-2530. You don't have to run your organization alone. Michelle Trotz is your partner in accounting. The one thing that we we joke about, and Mike's not here today. We we miss Mike, but he's uh he's at a different uh a different commitment. But we always uh have a, a dialogue about what something you said, which is hard and soft skills, right? Often the technical skills of a job, the hard skills are thought to be more difficult and more valuable when really the soft skills and communication and being able to lead your team and empathize with your team and and build consensus and build like that journey together is actually more difficult than quote unquote the hard skills right and so we we sometimes gloss over them as leaders but really you know what we find at teams and co is a lot of those skills especially communication building a feedback loop making sure you're all on the same page is is really the the critical piece to your success. So how do you think about that with leaders? Like I'm sure you've gotten the you know, you know, various reactions from from leaders when you say, "Okay, we're going to dive into soft skills." What does that conversation look like and and how do you help them overcome kind of, you know, maybe the the way that we've thought about soft skills in the past and maybe deprioritize them? Well, first, I think that most leaders, most humans have blind spots. And people who are successful are the most difficult to coach uh, because they're like, well, you you want me to do something completely different than what I've been doing. Uh, And by the way, I've been very successful. And my contention is, no, you haven't. You have not reached your potential. You've not created your legacy. Your organization is working off 36% engagement. Tell me how that's successful. And they, they are often shocked by that conversation. And one, one other interesting statistic, I'm a research geek. Interestingly enough, Gallup shows that 85% of the time, the leaders that we that are selected as team leaders 
don't have the capacity to be team leaders. 85% of the time we choose incorrectly. By the way, I'm a Bears fan, so I'm familiar with the failure to select correctly at every level of the organization, and it breeds disaster. So so those type of statistics shock them. At first, they don't believe it. Yep. And they also don't believe that they're not the type of leader that has those soft skills. So rather than hear me say it, because the first thing they say is, I don't know you. We're just starting this relationship. How could you possibly know that about me? Ah, that's the value of the 360 degree review, because if it's done autonomously through an outside source, me, those direct reports are eager to tell you the truth about the blind spots that the leader has. Based upon that information, we can now have a dialogue about first, you have to you have to believe this, accept it, and be willing to want to do something. There's a group of leaders I, I call aware but just don't care. So they, they get I get pointed out to them and they're like, Well, I'm not gonna change. Obviously the coaching relationship ends very quickly. Because if you're not willing to make make the transformation using the information we've collected from people who report to you, who you count on to make sure the organization works, then, then clearly this is you don't want to be coached. You, you just want to continue on. And, and that's fine, by the way. Like I said, 80% of the people that I engage with, leaders, end up not staying with me. That's all right. Uh, it's a hard journey. Uh, but, but looking at those soft skills now, even more important because of the well-being requirement that's been that's been recognized because of the pandemic. And toxic culture comes from the leadership down to the frontline managers. So the reality is I can show a leader who wants to see the reasons why they need to change. The question is, how are they going to do it? Most of them are already competent. Right? I mean, I, 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 the hard skills are the easiest to master. Uh, I tell every leader, you're hired for what you know, but you will be fired for who you are. So let's talk about the image that you want to portray as to who you are to the people you expect to perform. And that's all about soft skills. And yeah, it's difficult for them. Uh, and we go through the entire list of what they're required to do and how they're required to interact. And this is brand new for them. And it's something they've not been taught. Once again, I believe that professional interactions do not get you the discretionary behavior that you need for your company to be what it should be, potential. It requires that personal interaction. So, Paul, like thinking of through this one, I'll say this, which is Mike will be very sad that he missed a football reference. He's a big Denver Broncos fan. And so... Uh, this would be the part that I feel obligated to talk a little bit about football and, and also say, as a lifelong Jets fan, I feel your pain about, oh. uh, you know, maybe an unsuccessful football team in terms of uh, a draft picks. But, uh, you know, looking forward to, to one day the, the Jets being back on top. So, <laughs> Wow. Okay. I, I tell you, that's like being hit in the head with a cool I, uh, ball once a day. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an optimism at heart, Paul. I'm, I, I'm a big optimist. <laughs> And tell, tell Mike that I am praying for Aaron Rodgers to go to Denver since they took the Green Bay uh, offensive coordinator. I'm hoping that he is going to move out of our jurisdiction into theirs. <laughs> so. Well, I will. Uh, I'll pass that along. Maybe he's even watching us live, so uh, maybe maybe he'll uh, he'll be able to see it. But I'm sure 
I'm sure he as a Denver Broncos fan will be very excited now that we've we've weaved them in and we've done our part. So <laughs> But Paul, seriously though, like I mean, as you think about this and, and I know that you kind of talk a lot about the leaders you work with, as you kind of you know, one of the things we talk about with leaders is kind of the trajectory of their career and, and especially first time leaders, right? First being a first time leader, a lot of these leadership skills, whether they're, you know, hard skills, soft skills, they're all new, right? And so you know, as you were sort of making the transition from being a lawyer into being a, a a coach, what were some of the like what's some of the best advice that you got along the way and what what made you want to become a coach? Like what said what what inside you kind of or, or were there influential coaches that that gave you advice that you would want to pass along to other leaders to say, hey, this is how I made it through this journey or these are some of the words of wisdom that were passed along to me. Well, first, I think that every coach needs a coach. If you don't have that, you know what? Pointing out my blind spots is something my wife does really well. Uh, but, but in the workplace, it's difficult to find people. And if you're a coach, uh, you need someone who can tell you, look, uh, and, and they actually, uh, it's, there's a term for it, the, the diminishing traits that take away from the power of your message and the ability to deliver it effectively and to engage people. You need to know what those are. So finding out the blind spots that I had, by the way, I found it out the hard way, uh, really. I was, uh, I, I was uh, definitely someone who needed to be told how my actions and behavior were inappropriate and were self-destructive. And I think most blind spots are connected to our personality. And they're very difficult. First, we can't see them. And second, if we can't see them, that makes us very vulnerable to being manipulated. So one of the things that, that I went out and did was I found myself a couple of coaches who had absolutely no fear about telling me what I needed to do to be different. Uh, and we need as leaders to develop the psychological safety so that those people that we trust to care about us, if they don't care about us, the advice is worthless. But, but we need to, to establish the psychological safety necessary for those people to be discovered. Uh, I, I'm actually doing a, 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 trying to do a TEDx talk about how everyone needs a fool in their life. When you go back in medieval uh, history, the king always had a jester, the fool that sat at the, the foot of the throne. And we look at that person who's dressed up in brightly colored clothes and jumps up and sings a ridiculous song. And we believe, well, that was an entertainer. Now, that's not what they were. Uh, the, the king was appointed by divine right. Therefore, anybody who challenged the king's decisions committed heresy, which was punishable by death. The gesture who was seen to be crazy or insane was not bound by that rule. They could say whatever they wanted and they would not be punished. So the gesture of the fool became the trusted advisor of the king who sitting at the foot of the throne heard the decisions the king was going to make and could immediately tell the king if they were making a mistake. Every leader, every coach needs a fool. Someone who has the psychological safety to say, I care enough about you and I know enough about you and what you're trying to do to give you the advice you need to not make a mistake. Uh, so that's that's where I start with this. That's the that's the function, I believe, of every coach is to be the fool. And I reached out. And again, I'm not going to name any names, but 
But I reached out and I found two, two experienced coaches. And I said, I'm, I'm more than happy to pay you the fees necessary for you to make me better than I am. And uh, it works. I, I, but, but again, I am, I'm, very, I'm very authentic and also very vulnerable. Uh, whatever story I have to tell, I have no problem telling. And so you've got a different, you have to have a different relationship and it has to be based on your ability to tell a person the truth and care enough about them that you hope they not only hear it, but are held accountable to it. Yeah. And, and I would imagine the, there's a lot, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. That uh, accountability is that second, that second level of responsibility for every coach, isn't it? If you're not holding people accountable, the outcome is not going to be beneficial. Yeah, and I think it's all about kind of how do you do that, right? And what's the re- respectful way, especially as on teams, right? Like I think one of the biggest things we see with teams when we're working with them is is setting that that baseline of trust up, but also setting up a you know a way that folks can communicate in a really productive manner, right? And making sure that people have the time and space to have those productive conversations without making it personal, right? There's a lot of things that go on and, you know, everybody's trying to do their goals and there's always those natural kind of tensions between teams and team members. And what we try to do at Teams and Co is say, okay, we're all, we all have a shared goal. And I think this goes back to your original conversation around goals, right? And making sure we have a clear direction we're going. And if we all have that direction, then what we find is we can always put the conversation back in the, in the framework of the goals, right? This isn't, you know, this isn't a personal thing. It's just, hey, we all remember, we all said we wanted to aim for this goal. We're not reaching that goal. What are some ways we can do that? What are some ways we can brainstorm to improve the way that we're going about this process? And and we find that to be really helpful for teams just to kind of create that shared space, that shared dialogue, that shared goal, right? Uh, I, I grew up on sports teams and, you know, I always look back at those time as you know, you always had the same thing. You you all wanted to get to the championship game and you all wanted to win the championship. And so you were willing to put in the extra work and you were willing to collaborate and think of new ideas and think of new plays and stay after practice because the goal was really clear and, and everybody had their role. We weren't all point guards or we weren't all, you know, defensive players, but we were, we all had our role. And, and within that, we, we got to this shared goal. And, and we find that conversation is you know, one of the things that needs to be really productive. And if you center it around that shared goal, it becomes a lot more productive because everybody can kind of come at it from their point of view. But one of the other things that's just struck me, you mentioned kind of the your willingness and openness to talk, telling your story. Um, and I just want to use that opportunity to let the audience know that you wrote a book and, and give you an opportunity to kind of share a little bit more about your book. Well, actually, I did. I, I've got it right here, and uh, I'm going to hold it up and let you see it. It's called Workquake, uh, <laughs> and, and it's 10 years old. I just celebrated the 10th anniversary. Oh, happy and, anniversary. Uh, uh, thank you. And, <laughs> uh, and it, it's, it, it's subtitled, Making the Seismic Shift to a Knowledge Economy. And I have to admit, 10 years ago, when I wrote the book, I didn't like it. And I told my editor, I said, nobody is going to read this book. And he, he was like, well, you wrote it. I said, well, yeah. <laughs> By the way, no one writes a book because they want to. They write a book because they have to. And I had to write the book. And he said, so tell me what's, why it's not going to work. And I said, because no one's going to believe this is what they should do. <laughs> and 10 years later, it's, I, I've, been, I, I've proven myself to be prescient. The book is actually relevant because it's it, what we're talking about right now is what the book talked about. My, my theories about this, my conversations and my coaching have not changed. 
What's changed is the willingness of people to hear what I have to say. By the way, you're doing a value. I have no idea how you guys do podcasts as, as hosts. <laughs> It's, it would make me insane. I couldn't do it. But but I think the fact that you're doing this is that indication of how much things have changed so that the topics we're talking about absolutely have value to your audience. Ten years ago, not so much. So, yeah, the book is uh, it's never been a bestseller. But you know what? Uh, I just got my royalties for this month. I actually sold twenty eight dollars worth. So, yeah, it's like, <laughs> so it was like, okay, someone's reading it. So, so no, it, uh, it's, uh, it's an interesting conversation that I have with the readers based on my philosophies, using examples that I believe are relevant uh, to what we're talking about now. Uh, and and I, I think that, that, thank God, things have changed. But by the way, I, I compare the, the pandemic to the uh, asteroid that killed off the dinosaurs. I truly believe that this is, I've been waiting for the tipping point because the level of dissatisfaction is there. Again, look at engagement and you know. The concept of the great resignation is just an indication of how upset people are. It's extremely difficult for people to quit. It really is. Uh, they, they, they are there. They've got a network. Hopefully they have a friend. But the reality is that the, that the pressure the pandemic has exerted has now made the flaws in the system of work very apparent to everyone. You mentioned trust. And trust is that glue that holds it all together. And I think it's so simple, but once again, we complicate it. I believe trust is comprised of two things. If you're a leader, whether it be a team leader or an organizational hierarchy leader, two things. First, trust is do what you're supposed to do. If you don't know what that is, I have no idea why you're holding the position. Do what you're supposed to do. And if you don't know what that is, ask the people that you're in charge of. What am I supposed to do for you? And they'll tell you if they trust you. The second thing is, once you say it, you're bound by it. So do what you're supposed to do and do what you say you're going to do. If you can do that, you will continue to build a bond of trust that will carry you through hard times. As long as you're honest with people and you say what you, what you mean. And the other thing you mentioned about teams is, the first time a leader loses the team is when it becomes about them. When you step out of that team mindset and you make it about you, the team immediately knows that. Uh, and leaders need to be engaged in making sure that that the stresses that, by the way, uh, it, it, again, back to the statistics. Statistics show that 80% of the stress that employees have prior pandemic was caused by their team leader. And, and when you look at that and you go, okay, let, let's do what we, we have to do. And I don't blame the team leaders. Uh, and I need to be clear about this. Team leaders have not been given the tools, uh, the, the education, the resources they need to do the job that has to be done now. The job has changed. Uh, the, the ability to interact with the team members under these conditions, very adverse conditions, uh, remote work, uh, they've not been given the tools for that. They're, they're just expected to do it. And that makes no sense to me. Uh, and when we talk about that statistic, about 85% are misplaced. 
It's not that they couldn't get better at the job, but no one is giving them the opportunity or the tools or the resources. So leaders at a higher level of that team leadership need to recognize that they're going to lose their team leaders as well as the team members. And so the great resignation is not going to be limited to only those people who aren't leaders. Those leaders are going to leave too. They'll find a, a better environment and rightfully so. And that environment is about if you're going to be a team leader, we're going to support you because burnout at the team leader level is as great as it is for the team members. Because I believe that those team leaders, if they're doing their job right, actually take stress off of the team members and they, they pick it up themselves. But, but they have to be able to dissipate that. And it's difficult to do. They're expected to be a coach, a mentor, uh, talk about growth and development, make sure that well-being is a part of the conversation. I mean, oh, my God, this is they first. I don't believe it can be done. I believe that there needs to be complete reorganization of how teams are led. And I don't believe that one person has the skill sets necessary to to meet the needs of modern day work teams. Well, we um we will uh we will probably have to have a broader conversation about that, Paul, because since our work is all in teams, uh you know would love to kind of spend. I think we could probably dig into that that for hours, if not days, uh, and it might be the longest podcast ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can, I can give you the my my secret, and that is that self directed and autonomous teams, absolutely, from my perspective, are the future of work, and I believe that you're going to have managers, team leaders, who are skilled in specific fields, who will rotate from team to team within an organization and provide what they need through that expertise. That to me is how it works. Uh, being a mentor is a lot different than being a coach. Being a coach is a lot different than a performance manager. These things are separate skill sets. And I and as we continue to think that one person can have them all and have the have the not only the expertise, but the time to do it. No, that's not possible anymore. Uh, the needs of the work team are different and greater. Well, We've got to address them in some way. <laughs> well, we, we appreciate you sharing that and, and all the perspectives that you've shared today, Paul. It's really been, you know, a lovely conversation. And like I said, we we really would be uh, remiss to not take a moment and just, you know, let you say how our audience could find you if they're interested in learning more about your book or about your coaching practice. What would that? What would that? What would? Where would they go for that? <laughs> uh, PaulGloverCoaching.com will take you to my website. Obviously, LinkedIn, Paul Glover Coaching. Uh, for those that want an extended conversation about it, I'm more than happy to engage uh, and make a decision together, a mutual decision as to whether or not uh, we would be uh, appropriate in a coaching relationship. Obviously, that's what I do. Uh, but I also like uh, diverse opinions. And if someone heard what I said and, and say, you know, for the no BS workplace development guy, you're full of BS. <laughs> that's an interesting conversation to me. Well, I, we appreciate you being here today, Paul. We appreciate you sharing all of your perspectives. Um, if folks want to learn more about the podcast, they can obviously visit our website where we have all of our past episodes. You can leave us a like or a review or you can leave a question and we'll pass any questions that you have along to Paul as well. If if you want to use Ask Teams, A-S-K-T-E-A-M-E-S -E uh, on social media. And uh, we look forward to seeing you all next week uh, for another live podcast. And uh 
another another guest who is going to share their leadership experience. So for now, uh, we will wish you well. And uh, thank you, Paul, again for being our guest. And thank you, Tracy, for the opportunity to speak to you and your audience. Much appreciated. You've been listening to Building Teams with Teams & Co. To learn more about the latest thinking on how to empower your team to deliver exceptional results or to book a consultation, please visit us at teamsandco.com or follow us at LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Mention of particular products or services and participation of a guest does not imply an endorsement by Teams & Co. The information provided is for educational and entertainment purposes and should not be taken as professional advice.